Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Speaking of awesome, though, um, last week was awesome. And if you weren't here, like Ryan said, I would encourage you, go and check out the, the video uh, of, the, of the message and of the sermon. Uh, and, and straight up right now, you're not going to be able to get the full effect having not been here. And that's just a given. But it was so clear that God was in the room and he was working last week and, and way to go FBC for responding to him. And I'm excited about where we're going to go uh, this summer. And some of you are concerned about where we're going to go this summer because I'm wearing a suit, aren't you? I could see some of the concern in your eyes as you were coming in this morning. And, and let me just tell you why. First of all, I'm, I wear a suit usually for communion. Uh, but secondly, it works out really well this this week, because I've got family visiting here from all over North America and actually even beyond. And they have a big struggle understanding me as a pastor. And so I'm doing everything that I can today to help them picture that, (laughs) get past it. So I thought I'd put on a suit. Anyways, I'm excited about where we're going to go this summer, because I hope, I trust that we're going to build on what we did last week and, and the, the, the decisions that we made in listening to God and sacrificing our shoes. And that we're going to take that as momentum and that we're going to move into this summer as we look at the whole idea, the whole concept of becoming like Christ. Becoming like Jesus Christ. And that's the series that we're going to go into. And so in and amongst the summer weeks, and around when we have our camp speakers here speaking to us, some of them are going to take part in our services on Sunday morning, then we're going to look in those other weeks at this whole idea of becoming like Christ. For those of us that profess to be followers of Jesus, those of us that profess to be Christians, this is our number one priority, bar none, ahead of looking after our families, providing for our families, ahead of our jobs, ahead of church. We are to be becoming like Christ. And so the question then comes this morning, well, what does that mean, Doug? What are you talking about? Becoming like Christ. Help me understand that. Distill that for me a little bit. And I'm happy to do so, but I can't do it myself as well as John Stott does it. John Stott tells us that we are to become like Christ in five areas. He distills it down to five areas that we're to become like Christ. He says that we're to become like Christ in his humility. That we're to become like Christ in his love. That we're to become like Christ in his service. That we're to become like Christ in his mission. And that we're to become like Christ in his suffering. So this morning, we're going to tackle, to begin to tackle this idea of becoming like Christ. 
And we'll work through these things over the next few weeks. And then, at the last part of, in the last part of August, last two weeks, then Pastor Gord is going to come, and he's going to bring a two-part message on hope. And I think that as we take what happened last week, and we feel and sense the call on God in our lives, and as we respond to Him, and as we move to be more like Him, and we pattern ourselves after Him, and then as we look at the idea of hope, and where it comes from, and what it means to offer that to the world around us. I trust that by the end of this summer that we'll be a different church. That we will grow in our relationship with God, and that in so doing, then He will be able to use us even that much more directly and purposefully and significantly to build His kingdom in our community and beyond. A year ago, to almost to the day, to this weekend, we started a series on the seven deadly sins. And we began with the sin of pride from which all other sin stems. And I noted at that time that we are becoming more and more a nation of stiff-necked people who are focusing on ourselves, who are turning to ourselves for our answers, our direction, our solutions to the issues that we find in life. And that we're trying to make our own way. And as we do that, that we are turning further and further away from God. I noted at that time that we had just gone through a situation where Prayer had been removed from our schools and where it had been removed from some of our houses of government. At that time, a court ruling had determined that it was not allowable to have religious artifacts displayed in some of our houses of government or government buildings. And at that time, gender was in the process of being redefined. And this morning, I stand before you able to add to that list, unfortunately, as we are on the cusp of the legalization of marijuana in our society. As we envision and see coming the decriminalization of sexual, the sexual trade in our country, as the government has outlined that as part of its agenda. And as the Supreme Court recently, just a couple of weeks ago, determined that they, that the Supreme Court is able to determine which religious practices are necessary as opposed to which are merely preferable. 365 days later, we have seen significant drift again away from God. Who He is, what He believes, and what He has outlined for us as good. And so as I think of this, 
As I contemplate where we're at again in our society, I can't help but see and understand the imperative for us as the church to take serious our call to become like Christ. If there is to be any hope of preventing further drift away from God, now is the time when you and I must take seriously this directive to conform ourselves to the image of Christ. To become imitators of him and examples therein to the world around us. Of course, it's imperative for us individually, first and foremost. Because that is our deal. That is what we sign up for in following Jesus. But it is also imperative for the world around us. As I've noted before, when we look at 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, it says that if my people, which is you and me, those of us that purport to follow Jesus Christ, those of us that count us count ourselves among those ranks. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then God says, I will hear from heaven and I will heal your land. It's imperative. For us to not waste another day, we have to take seriously the priority of becoming like Christ. And so this morning, let's begin by looking at becoming like Christ in his humbleness, in his humility. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, this morning, we stand before you and we acknowledge you again as God. And Father, we apologize for the way that we have turned our backs on you. Even as the church, God, even as your followers, as we try and rely on ourselves, as we are determined to set our own course and proceed in our own ways in so many respects. As our thinking has been Twisted and turned and deviated away from you. God, would you, would you forgive us? And more than that now, God, would you come upon us today in a new way? Refreshed and vigorously strive with us today, God, to convict us and to turn us toward you. And so to that end, I pray that you would work now in these next moments by your spirit. And I ask this again for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. All right. If you turn with me, if you have your Bibles, your phones, what have you, if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to uses our text today, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, which is a very common passage, one of my favorite passages, and one that many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along on the screens. Paul writing here says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." This morning as we come to this passage, we see first of all that humility begins in our mind. Humility begins, number one, in our mind. Now, we live in a culture where action is paramount. Where people are more interested in what is being done than what is being thought. And we see this, I think we see this, especially as we look back on the generations coming up behind us. And it's a scary thing this morning for me to say that I can look back on generations now coming up behind me. What a sad day. Not because of them, but because of my age. But as I look and I listen to the kids nowadays, they want to see what I'm doing, not what I have to say, what I think. They're interested in what I'm doing. If I'm not doing something, it doesn't matter. And I can appreciate how that makes a lot of sense. As you consider it, if what you think doesn't result in a change, it's not worth a lot. And I think that this is especially understandable of them When in our society, so oftentimes we hear people talking about what they think and then doing something completely different. They talk about what they believe, but in their actions, they're going a different direction. So I can appreciate people nowadays sitting back and saying, unless you show me. I'm not putting any stock in what you're talking about. Until you demonstrate that you're going to walk the walk, I'm not interested in listening to the talk. And I'm such a believer in that, that I subscribe heavily to the idea, the axiom, that if you show me what you do, I will show you what you believe. That in examining our actions, when we take a look at, when we take stock of the things that we do day by day, 
where we spend our time, what we spend our time doing, that by our actions, then we can understand that we can know what someone believes. That you can look at my life and that you can see what Doug believes by what he's up to. Now, while that makes sense, there is a, a very distinct danger here. And there is something that we have to be very careful about on our guard concerning. Because the danger is that if we're not careful, then we can begin to formulate our thoughts to build our beliefs by what we see happening around us. That as we watch and observe things going on in the world, that that will then determine our beliefs and our understanding, our perspectives and our opinions. We see things happening, and then we adopt them as making sense. For example, we look around and we think that as long as people love each other, it doesn't matter if they get married. Or similarly, as long as people love each other, it doesn't matter who gets married. When in fact, on both counts, God has some very definitive opinions about each of those matters. When we look around, we're in danger if we're not careful of, of adopting ideas that are contrary to God. We look around and we think to ourselves, well, abortion is not so bad because it is only a fetus. It hasn't become viable. It's not really someone. Or conversely, that assisted suicide on the other end of the spectrum makes sense because it really is each person's life to determine for themselves. When again, on both counts, God has a very different perspective and opinion, where he thinks very differently. When we begin to allow what's going on around us to shape our thinking, our thoughts, our opinions, our perspectives, then we are being conformed to the world. And Paul warns us against that in Romans 12 verse 2. He says there, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Which is to say that you and I have to take control of our minds. That we have to manage them. That we have to keep them in line with who God is and what He says. So that we can look around us and then make a determination on what we see as being either good and in line with God or bad and out of line with Him. We can't do it backwards. That's being conformed to the pattern of this world, which leads us astray and destroys our testimony for God. So we are to avoid being shaped by the world, and instead we are to renew our minds by bringing our thinking into line with God. And then, from there, our actions need to follow suit. 
So here in Philippians 2, we get to see then the mind of God. We have a direct window picture into God's thinking. How he feels about this subject. Verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul's setting us up. Right here he says, Hey, pay attention. I'm going to tell you how God looks at this right now. We're going to get a window into how he thinks. How God Almighty thinks. You know, this morning, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that more often than not, we are interested in asking the question about what God thinks than we are in hearing the answer about what he thinks. That more often than not, we're happy to ask the WWJD question, what would Jesus do? And we'll wear it on a necklace, we'll put it on a wristband, and we'll trot it out at various points in our day. But then rather than finding out the answer, then we'll start to build our own answer. In fact, I sometimes think this. I sometimes think that in just asking the question, what would Jesus do? That we feel like we've done something really nice, really good, really well. That we've been pretty spiritual today. Because I stopped and thought about what would Jesus do? But rather than find the answer, rather than dig that out, research it, and determine it, then we ask the question, feel good about ourselves, and then go back to answering it ourselves. That we rely then on our own rationale, on our own logic, to come up with that answer. Hmm. What would Jesus do? Would he take the Lambo or the Ferrari? What would Jesus do? Would he buy new or would he buy used? And as long as we're buying, it's all good. And as long as we're buying for me, we're fine. We ask the question, but we don't go looking for the actual answer, I'm afraid. And that's maybe because that when we go looking for the answer, maybe we find an answer like we find now in Philippians 2 verse 6, where Paul spells out God's perspective. It says there, who being in very nature God, this is Jesus again, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, apparently, he wouldn't use his position to his own advantage. Uh Uh-oh. Houston, we have a problem. Because our society, and oftentimes, I think we ourselves, even as Christians, see life completely differently. We understand our position and our status to be something that we leverage for our own sakes. That we take our position 
that we take our status and that we exploit those things to our own advantage. And more than that, our objective becomes to go higher and further up in our position and our status in order to even better yet take advantage of that for ourselves. And unfortunately, we come to this verse and we find out that that's not God's way at all. This isn't the way he thinks. That he envisions it much differently. And so we need to bring our thinking into line with that and so by that, in line with him. We need to exercise humility in our thinking and adjust our perspective. But it doesn't just end there with intellectual assent. It doesn't end this morning with just getting our heads straight. Because while it begins in the mind, then number two, humility must then be manifested in our actions. It can't stay up here. It has to move here and out from there. Humility must then be manifested in our actions. And we see that clearly here in Christ's response, starting in verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing. He's not going to use his position to his advantage. Not for his own sake, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility was clearly not just an intellectual issue for Jesus. He practically expressed it in his actions. And so we too need to practically demonstrate humility now in our world. Day by day by day by day. Where do we need to be humble today? As you consider your life. As you think about your world. Where is God speaking to you right now? About where you need to be humble. Where you need to begin to exercise another level of humility. What's he calling us to today? To become like him in being humble where? I don't think we have far to look often. How about at work? With our bosses or with our employees, with our coworkers. Maybe God is calling us this morning to become humble ourselves and to start to take on the tasks that are below us without having a debate, an argument with the boss about why that shouldn't be me that has to take that on. About why that's below my pay grade. 
And my time would be better spent, thank you very much, somewhere else. Maybe it's time that we humbled ourselves and got in the trenches with our staff and helped them get the jobs done so that they could get home to their families at a decent hour. Maybe it's time that we humbled ourselves and instead of coming unglued and beginning to yell and scream at those around us, over whatever has just gone off the rails, that we rein it in, that we dial it down, that we will remember that God died for our co-workers and that it's time for us to start and die a little for them too. This morning, how about in our marriages? Is God calling you today to exercise humility in your marriage. The world is waiting for us to show them marriages that work. Marriages where we put our spouses before ourselves. And then can weather and navigate the storms of life. The issues that come in the context of relationship. As they struggle and fail with this day by day. And frankly as we're continuing to do the same as the church. Maybe it is time that we started to humble ourselves and devote ourselves to serving our spouses as the more important one in the relationship. That it not just be about me anymore. Maybe it's time that we laid down our rights And chose instead to focus on their needs and filling them. Maybe it's time that we humble ourselves and that we would train ourselves to start looking at life through their perspective, from their point of view, rather than insisting day after day that they see life from my perspective and conform their world to that. Maybe we need to humble ourselves today and start living like we're actually indebted to our friends. Rather than thinking that it's the other way around. That they're fortunate to have us in their life. Maybe today, We need to start and exercise some humility in the random encounters with the people that we meet in the course of our daily walk. With those that we don't think about. With those that we just navigate. And with those that we are quick to dismiss or demean when they don't facilitate and suit our purposes, our plans, or our objectives. Whoever they might be, at the restaurant, at the gas station, at the laundromat, at the post office, wherever. 
Maybe it's time that we humbled ourselves and started to view them as if they were royalty. And then treat them accordingly. And maybe this morning, there are some here that need to begin by humbling ourselves before God. Maybe you've been around for a while. And you've listened. And you're starting to actually think it might be true. That there is this God out there. And that you have holes in your life, in your world, that up till now, you've been determined to solve on your own. That up till now, you've been convinced that you're sufficient. And that you've been holding God at bay. Saying, you just stay over there. I'm going to continue to captain my own life. But maybe this morning, it's time to stop playing the game and to admit your need. That you would look at your life and recognize that we can't handle this on our own. I can't do it myself. I need God because He is the only solution for me and my problem. And then take that step. Humble yourself and call on Him. Ask Him to come into your life. Forgive you of your sin and become Lord of your life and direct you going forward. And watch Him come along and do just that. This morning, I recognize that this isn't a simple message. That this isn't easy. I get it. Like this is messy and it doesn't come any harder. This isn't just giving up our shoes one week. This is now living day to day to day. Humbly putting others first. Serving their needs, not asking to be served ourselves. And frankly, I recognize as well that we cannot do this on our own. That we are incapable of accomplishing this ourselves. And I am so thankful that in recognizing that God responds to that need as well by saying that He will come and that He will help us accomplish that. That He again would humble Himself to help us humble ourselves. Isaiah 57 Verse 15 says, For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. This is what God says. I live in a high and holy place. But also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Jesus Christ. 
the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God will come and he will work with us and in us as we turn to him, as we humble ourselves, die a little to you and I ourselves and put others before us. He will come along and he will enable us to do that when it would be impossible on our own. And this morning, we don't have to just take him at his word because we can look and see that he did it himself. That what he thought, he then did. And not considering his position to be used for his own advantage, he then began the descent of humbleness into our world to the point where he would die for us on the cross. And that's what we celebrate here. By his humbleness that he makes a way for us through his broken body and his shed blood that we can have life. 